0: Welcome into episode 293 of the Source of Say podcast, your go to Kentucky basketball and recruiting podcast on the growing KSR Podcast Network. Presented by Justice Dental tonight, another very, very huge show breaking down Kentucky's 96 88 overtime victory over St. Joseph's and uh, some whispers about some potential big man news on the horizon. We will talk about all of that and more, but before we get started, a quick Message from our friends at Justice Dental. Sources say is presented by the great team at Justice Dental. Visit one of their two Lexington locations by scheduling an appointment online at justicedental.com or by calling or texting 859-543-0700. Dr. Thompson, Dr. Justice, and their team look forward to seeing you soon. I'm your host, Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio. Very happy to be finally joined by Sean Smith of Go Blue Country, an absolute disaster for 15 minutes. We were sitting here ready to go, and then the internet goes out, uh, lighting's off, and music is in the background. At the, for whoever's at the restaurant right now, they're wanting to play music at the top of their lungs for God knows what reason, but uh, we finally got all of those issues worked out and more, so we appreciate the patience. But Sean, a, uh, the, the feeling that we're having right now about the blood pressure going high and the, the anxiety and the nervousness. That's literally what we dealt with last night at Rep Arena. So uh, I, I'm, I'm, I apologize
1: that we had two straight nights of this feeling. Listen, I, I was stressed to the max there for about 15, 20 minutes. One, the reason I'm at KS office is because I have no power. So that wasn't getting restored and, and taken care of today. So the show has to go on. And it would have been hilarious if I would have had to do an episode from my car, but I'm trying to move on from that period of my life. So, of course, we have even more issues. But, hey, here we are. We're going to talk about what went down last night. And you mentioned the anxiety. Boy, uh, Jack, I don't think at any point last night that I think Kentucky could even lose until they finally – St. Joseph's took the lead there late. And then it finally hit me. I was like, okay, this this actually could go sideways here. But it didn't. it." it didn't
0: even set in with me that a loss was possible until that final made shot by St. Joseph's with in the final minute did i ever think that a loss was on the table because they just continued to show that resolve Sean they they had that response back we knew what the scouting report was going to be on St. Joseph's like that was a run and gun team they were going to launch 33s live or die by them they made six in their loss against Texas A&M Commerce they were going to continue to shoot 30 whether or, or, or not they fell. That's their style of play. They were going to try to beat you in that way, and they came in with that game plan and had a chance to beat Kentucky with that game plan. It, it was, you know, Cal always talks about the Super Bowl mindset with with teams coming in, and it gets annoying, and it gets like, yeah, well, we could say that about every non-conference schedule everywhere, uh, every, every game, but how often is it that you get – that type of shooting all around shooting performance. It wasn't just one guy. I mean, we had three different guys on St. Joseph's hit at least three threes, one guy hitting six on on his, his own, another with five. How often is it that Sean, that is the end because we've seen so many times that Kentucky loses that game. And for my money, Kentucky loses that game last year and they lose it the year before, probably the year before that too. The resolve that this young freshman laden team showed on that stage Regardless of the opponent, it's still a very solid opponent, first and foremost. Like, I know that St. Joe's got a a lot of crap on social media just because of the name St. Joe's, but like, that was always a very solid team, about as good of a mid-major opponent as you could get out of the A-10. Like, that's the type of non-conference opponent I wanted to face. And then you've got the type of game that Kentucky needed to see. You said literally on the last show, Sean, I want to see how Kentucky adapts in a close game. What happens? We get an overtime. Masterpiece, quote unquote, uh, where Kentucky ends up winning by eight. Exactly what you could look for
1: in, a, in an A ten A ten victory, uh, five games into the season. Well, and and you mentioned there a moment ago that they don't win that game a year ago, <clears throat> and I don't think they win that game a week and a half ago if they hadn't had the moments that they went through against Kansas late down the stretch. I even said this uh, this morning to someone that. They needed what happened to them last night because I, you're going to be in a similar situation against Miami here in a week, a week from the night. It's going to be a tight ball game. They've gone through it now and they've, they've won one. And that's just situations, Jack, that you, you can go over situational basketball in practice. You can put so much time on the clock, put your, put one team up four or one team down four, and you can go over those and go over those and go over those. But until you're in that real pressure packed environment, you don't really get it. It's it's on-the-court experience. That's the first time that Rupp Arena got to make an impact all season, and it did. It did late. Trey Mitchell and the guys talked about that after the game. And it, it just – it's one of those things that – did Kentucky do everything perfect in the final five minutes of regulation? No. Did they do everything perfect in overtime? No. No. Like, there's still things and – they're still figuring out how they want to play. And even Cal, like Antonio Reeve's not on the floor there for a stretch late in regulation. The, the going back and forth between Reed Shepard. Do I put him on the floor? Or do I not put him on the floor? It, it kind of goes hand in hand with what I said on Sunday, that the biggest challenge is going to be you got so many guys that are capable, but what is the core group that closes games? I think it could shift and change depending on how guys are playing. And, and you're seeing that now. Like You've had different lineups and closing moments, but Kentucky was able to make plays late down the stretch to pick up a win against a team that was playing with house money, as John Calipari says. And Kentucky found a way to win. And even had they lost, I, I told myself this morning, what would I've react, how would I have reacted if Kentucky had lost that game? I don't think I would have been negative because I still see what this team can be. But I, I woke up this morning feeling pretty good about what we saw down the stretch last night just because they had the resolve multiple times to just keep coming back and matching what St. Joseph's was doing as well.
0: That wasn't Evansville, you know, like that wasn't one of those in shoot by the, by the end of the Evansville year, that team was in the conference. I mean, they won the SEC outright outright and were, I mean, they were in the conversation to win it all uh, before the season shut down. So you can lose ugly games like that and have that. Oh no, you, you, you know, but you never want to face that reality of what that looks like. And I remember in the closing stretch of that Evansville loss, where I kind of had to like, just take a step back and go, how, how do you react to this? How do you write about this? How do you go on social media and try to defend a loss to Evansville? You can paint, uh, paint the the picture as beautifully as possible and try to say this, that, but at the end of the day, it's a loss to Evansville. And that was people. The reason why we still talk about the Evansville loss is because it was the Evansville loss. So, I didn't want to face that with St. Joseph's. I think St. Joe's is obviously better than Evan- Evansville. And I don't think people would have really connected those, uh, those two, just the the level of challenge that St. Joe's really was, especially with style of play and those things. But it just wasn't a reality that I was ready to face. That was something that I just didn't want to speak into existence. I am grateful for Trey Mitchell in all three facets, his ability to hit the three at the end of the first half to kind of get that momentum, at least, your direction to start the to, to going into into the break. And then at the end of regulation, you're down one. And then he gets a putback dunk to uh, a go ahead dunk to potentially win the game. Uh, it ends up being a tie game going into overtime. Thank Christ for missing that uh, that free throw. Um, he had a lot of real ugly shots and uh, you know big, big bruising matchup for Trey Mitchell that you know really presented a, a real challenge. Thank goodness that he missed that that free throw at the end, but then Trey Mitchell opens up the overtime period with back-to-back threes. And again, what did we talk about on this show earlier in the season? That Trey Mitchell has been awesome. Everything that we have known and love about Trey Mitchell has been great. He has been the 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 straw that stirs the drink with this group. The, everything revolves around him from a stylistic perspective. But could he make the big shots? People that coached him in the past had told both of us individually that that was the knock on him. It's like yes, he's great against crappy non-conference competition. He could beat up against the 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 lower tier guys, but could he raise to that level? Could he be that guy to lean on at the end of games? He was solid against Kansas. Didn't play great, missed some crunch time free throws. That stunk, but he still had a very solid all-around game. He follows it up when the team needs him to put him put you know, have him on their back he did it, and he made one play at the end of regulation, one play at the end of overtime, and then two in the uh, overtime period to essentially seal the game and give you give the cast the, the cushion. I appreciate his resolve more than anybody.
1: Yeah, uh, I do too. And he has been incredible. And the 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 more that I dive into numbers and just what he's accomplishing, and you know, Cal mentioned it earlier in the in the season here. He's like it blew it like blew Cal's mind that. He had never had a a positive assist to turnover ratio at any point in his career. The only time that he did was 2020-21, 2.2 assists, 2.2 turnovers. But look at that. I tweeted that last night. Only two turnovers in 178 minutes of play. And on top of that, Jack, get this. I, I was digging through some stats before we went live. And Trey Mitchell is tied for eighth in the country in assist to turnover ratio he is the only player in the top 25 in Division I men's college basketball that is not a guard with those numbers. Like, it's how big. impressive is that? And, and, you, and yeah. you're seeing the three-point shot, too. Like, he, that, that was the thing. He he hadn't taken many in the regular season. And then last night, it, it comes down to it, right? So, how does Kentucky want to play late? I still don't think we really know. Even though they pulled that game out last night. Yeah, they, they went floppy action to Rob Dillingham and he he put him up a, a shot, you know, rattled in or, or, or fell in and got it to drop. There was one possession where they're they're trying to get some pin downs to kind of get right back into that same look. And then DJ Wagner just gets downhill and goes and scores. And I'm going to talk about that in a minute because it wasn't even DJ that I noticed. It was something else about the tape today that I watched that we'll we'll get into. But then you start OT with some some middle ball screen, some pick-and-pop looks for Trey Mitchell. Those That was where they got the separation. That was where they won the basketball game was those two shots. Maybe it's playing some middle ball screen with him and DJ or, or, or him and one of these other guards. You at least have some tape now and some success in the late-game situations that now you can start piecing that stuff together. But I still don't think Cal 100% really knows where he wants to go late in games. I, I looked at him late, and he kind of was like, and that's not a knock on count. That is that is the part of this that he has to learn too with this group. Not every team is the same. Is it Antonio Reeves that we want to play through late? Is it getting a post touch? Is it because Trey Mitchell just requires so much attention and can see the floor? I loved what they did to open the OT though with the with the ball screen action. That's where I think it's going to be. And I also think DJ Wagner, he just he gets to the paint. He finds the paint and touches it. And when he touches it, you can have Antonio Reeves and these other guards play off that. Kentucky did get some things answered, but you, you now you're going to have to see it the next time they're in that situation. What are some things that they go to, and that'll be something that just builds throughout the season. Well, let's talk about that because
0: DJ was obviously such an important part of that. Hit a lot of those dagger shots. Had the one to potentially win it at, re- at the end of regulation. Didn't was not probably the shot you're looking for, but. Um, y- kind of showing that mental, uh, that that confidence that we, the, the the mentality that we saw in high school, that we had been kind of questioning to start his career here. Where did that go? He has always been the guy that just attack, 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 get downhill. I'm going to punch you in the, the mouth mentality. He just really hadn't played with that level of aggressiveness and in you know, fading away on his shots, going left instead of, you know, creating with both hands, just not playing with that same level of oomph that we're used to seeing with him. Uh, and we we got to see that. It wasn't a perfect performance, seven of 17 shooting, one for four from three, but 22 points, seven of eight from the free throw line, uh, six, six assists, three rebounds. Uh, he was terrific. He had that, as you talked about, that one play in particular that I think was probably the most polarizing of the game because yes, he did dribble it out for 25 seconds and finish with his left hand at the basket where he had been missing, Very regularly, like we've been talking about, why is why is he so reliant on his left hand? Why why is he not exploding with both and trying to look to create with both? He kind of been falling back on that, and it felt like he was falling back on that shot that hadn't been working through you know through four games and then in the fifth. Why are you looking for that to potentially seal the game? But he hit it. What the what what can you say about that play and just the you know, what, what it meant, how it unfolded. Cause on first take, it did not appear that that's what Kentucky was looking for because I, I, it kind of became a controversial play on Twitter today, especially because they saw the shot clock left and the finish at the rim. My more, more of my concern was the, the nervousness at the top of the key that you kind of see where he's kind of looking around going, Oh no, Oh no, Oh no, nothing's happening. I'm not seeing it. And then, the go was the successful part. But the hesitant in the, okay, nothing nothing around me is happening. How sustainable is that was my concern in the heat of the moment. But at the end of the day, it was a dog making a dog play. And it, it, it essentially gave
1: Kentucky the, the win. So they were up four when that happened, right? And then the basket put them up six. Yes. So there was a similar situation there in regulation, regulation where they're up four. Rob Dillingham has a, a breakaway layup. He doesn't make it. Kentucky has a chance to come up with an offensive rebound. Instead, it leads to a bucket the other way. That's a massive four-point swing that kept St. Joe's in it and eventually put it in overtime. So Kentucky comes through in a fashion that you didn't want. That's not what you want. Cal doesn't want that. That's where I'm saying that you find out late in games, the game slows down. You're playing at this quick pace hundred miles an hour, random basketball, but in the final five, it's always going to slow down and it becomes a grinded out game. And Cal is going to have to figure out how they want to grind things out. But you know what started the go to the rim for DJ Wagner?
0: Like what a uh, time like
1: the the time or uh, what do you mean? Tower Ewlis. Ooh. Go back and watch the clip. Tyler Euless stands up on the bench and is almost on the floor screaming at him to just go. And then when he went and finished, it was Tyler that was really fired up. And when I saw that on tape today, I was like, that's a Tyler Euless play. That's a things are going sideways here. I've just got to go make a shot. And seeing DJ rise to the moment in that moment, and Cal is talking about it. Don't be afraid of the bump. It's not how you draw it up. You don't ever want to see that again. But it showed you that Kentucky has dudes. And I was talking to you last night at halftime about DJ wanting to get to that right shoulder. He is a right shoulder driver. Like, he loves to get to that right shoulder. Like, if we're seeing that right now and finish try to finish with that left hand. just to have the, the presence of mind to do it and not try to force a pass. To rob or to some way there, and just going to making a play. I thought I thought that was encouraging to see. But go back and watch that clip. Might, might have some people watching it at, while we're watching this, but you see Tyler will stand up on the bench and he's screaming for him just to go.
0: I, I think you hit the nail on the head because that twenty-five second runoff is not sustainable. Where there's no off-ball movement, there's no creation there, and the panic. That's what I said. The panic, temporary panic in his eye was what concerned me that in the moment we're like, what are you doing? What's the, what's the play here? What's the, what's the vision? I'm not seeing it. And that's where we panic sitting there at Rupp Arena going, are we about to choke this? Like, is, are we going to see exactly, you know, is it, are we going to have this slip between our fingers and then DJ go makes the play? is that sustainable against seven-foot long athletic long athletic bigs in the SEC? What's going to happen when people do collapse on him? And there is the length to bother him in that way, the way we had seen him earlier in the season. That's the kind of, okay, it's a good moment. I love it. I am so glad that he's breaking through because we talked about on the show. This team goes as DJ Wagner goes. You have to have him be the threat that he is, to have a legitimate shot to make the run, to, to, to reach the dream, dreams that we have for this team. DJ Wagner has to be DJ Wagner. There is no ifs, ands, or buts around it. And that was a DJ Wagner play. That's why you go fight tooth and nail for him uh, during his recruitment and basically say, yeah, I don't care about family connections. I don't care about this. I don't care about location. I don't care about anything. I'm going to get DJ Wagner on my roster. That's why you sign him. But the dribble it out for 30 seconds and just hope – that he's going to finish that every single time. Let's not make that our go-to. Let's continue to do what had been working for 36 minutes of regulation. John. That's, yeah. that's what, that's what I liked.
1: And, and it's tough though. Like it's really tough to, and this is where just a natural thing within the game is possessions are going to become crunched late. And then it comes down to two things. How do you execute in the half court and how do you defend on the other end of the four? you got to execute on your end of the floor with the ball, and you have to get stops. They're, they're, they're connected. They're intertwined in winning basketball in the final four or five minutes of games. And right now, Kentucky knows what it wants to do and how it wants to play for 35 to 36 minutes. It's that final four that they're not really sure how they want to play, and that's where it becomes very important about where you want to get the basketball. And I think DJ Wagner is going to be a very important piece to that as this season goes along. And you saw it last night. But to me, like, we're 20 minutes in here. We've not even talked about Reed Shepard. And we literally titled a podcast over the weekend, The Reed Shepard Game. That in itself, we've not even got into Rob Dillingham. Those reasons right there, Jack, are why I have been so high on what this team can be. And you're going to hear me say it the rest of November, December, January, February, March, and into April, it's the it's the way that it's a different guy every single night. Reed has had his moment. Rob has had his moments. Antonio is scoring the basketball at a hot clip. DJ had his moment last night. So they've not all played well on the same night, but that's the beauty of having so many guys that can do this at this level. You can overcome somebody not having their best night offensively. And then, how are you impacting the game when you're not scoring? Reed made an, Reed made an impact last night defensively. How about this with him? Seventeen steals on the year. That is two ahead of the pace of Rajon Rondo's single-season record at UK. Not saying that Reed's going to break that record. It's it's worth at least noting because he's he's ranked fourth in the country in steals right now. Reed Shepard does. He's making an impact. What what did
0: you put uh, team high plus sixteen in, in the plus minus by the way that Cal continued to go back to that zero points just one shot attempt but he did do that and he also had four four rebounds four assists uh, in twenty five minutes what about that the the team defender comments from Cal that he talked about where you know he he had some slip ups on ball like he he there were times that when she, Reed wasn't playing. In the second half, and people were going, "Where the hell is Reed Shepard? There was a valid reason for it because he did have a lot of defensive miscues that kind of led to a, you know, we we kind of got to keep rolling with what's working and right, you know, right now Reed isn't necessarily that guy. That changed down the stretch, and he converted on that, and he you know came up with some of the biggest stops of the game, especially uh, there in that overtime period to seal it. Uh, but what about that difference between the the team defense? and the on ball defense where we did kind of see some slip ups there Sean.
1: Yeah, and and the way that the way that St. Joe's plays offense and the threes that they were taking. I mean, Kentucky was getting caught in a, in a lot of scrambles and, and things and and some some closeouts and and it wasn't just Reed. Like there were there were guys all night that were making mistakes and just kind of maybe getting getting a little lazy for 2 or 3 seconds and getting bad positioning, turning their back to to their man. And, and or turning their head and then it was putting Kentucky in a bond with some closeouts and then not only that the St. Joe's had to make the shots and they did but then Kentucky came back down the other end Jack and did what they made a shot and that's where you saw a young team grow up in that moment last night and in Reed's game to me I was glad that he got back on the court and made plays. He had a couple of steals last night that he instantly turned back over, which was uncharacteristic of him. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe for a brief moment, he got a little sped up in his mind with maybe just being indecisive of what he wanted to do. But that's okay. Like, he still made an impact. Five steals is five steals. Like, there's, there's no way to really talk too negative about what he did. And Cal the hug for him after the game, and then you know the press conference and stuff. You know, talking about Reed and everything. Like, there's going to be ups and downs with all these guys, and that's what I was getting to a moment ago. Is that Reed was the talk of the press conference along with Rob on Friday night? Well, last night it was it was DJ's turn to get some of the some of the praise, while while others. And and like this team is so together that I don't think that they really care about who's on the floor, or who's getting the shots. I mean, he he attempted one shot. He's 12 of 18 from three this season. He just knocked down seven threes on Friday, and he comes out and takes one shot. But still made an impact on winning. They they need those. That's the thing. Stay engaged even if you're not scoring the basketball. And that
0: Trey Mitchell talked about that after the game. He said, we don't care about roles. Like, we're not a team that – sits there and counts minutes for each of us. We're not going to say, oh, well, Rob and Reed aren't starting tonight, so they're not starters. Like, they see all seven of those rotation guys as starters, like starter-level talents, while Jordan Burks is going in there and battling his butt off, too. Like, got to work on his hands, dude. Got to figure out how to catch that ball when he he's getting to the right spots and he's in position to finish in traffic and and you know, he's he's where he's supposed to be. But my man, we got to catch the ball. Like we got it, we got to figure out how to kind of get out of your head and just finish the easy place. Like you're capable. You averaged almost thirty points a game in high school as a senior. Like you're capable. We know you finish that. Get out of your head a little bit. But he's contributing. He's battling. I appreciate uh, his his efforts for sure. But. That mindset, and obviously when the bigs come back, and we'll talk about that, I know everybody wants to know what's the latest with those two. I'm here to tell you it's not as drama-filled as I think people are hoping it is. Um, It never has been, and I, I don't think it's going to be something that there's like this aha moment uh, coming up in the next couple days. But Trey Mitchell singling that out and saying, we do not care about roles. We don't care about if this guy has X number of minutes or shots or whatever. And then when you look at the actual numbers themselves, it reflects that. Look at this shot chart, 6, 6, 15, 9, 17, 10, 1. And Reed being your one, that's a guy that we have seen take 10. Like that's the balance is there. The three-point balance is there. And as you pointed out, and Cal continues to talk about it during his media conversations. He talked about it again during tonight during his uh, Colin radio show. Five different players with at least three assists. I mean, that's a big number. Two of them with six. DJ and Rob both with six. That's important, like that. There is so much balance and and ebbs and flows with this team. It just the the, the chemistry and cohesion is is absolutely ridiculous for this stage. And we haven't even gotten to see the finished product yet. We saw this team so far advance, finish games in ways that you would expect them to in February. They're doing it. November 20th, like that just doesn't happen. And Sean, that's where, that's where you can start dreaming big because the last three years, Kentucky does not win this game. And we saw them lose this game against Evansville. So like that
1: there is a precedent set where Kentucky has lost some of these early games where it is the Super Bowl, And it wasn't just Evansville. I mean, it's, it's multiple games that they've lost over the last few years, even against quality opponents Uh, when it comes down to, you know, having to to crunch and and string together possessions late when you got to get stops and you gotta make shots. Like it's it's do or die in the final four minutes of games. But you saw them come away with it. And to me, you know, you mentioned Cal continuing to, to say that that it will not shock me if that becomes his new trend thing here for the next couple of weeks Is he every time he talks, he said, Well we gotta we just we have this many guys getting this many assists. I just I saw that statistic last night, and I was actually going to ask him about something else. My question was going to be, you know, he he mentioned that they needed to close games better, but it was something that young teams learned. I was going to ask him what he learned about his team, and then I saw that number, and I was like, I'm going to take this here because I think he's going to appreciate this stat, and I think it stuck with him uh, clearly because he he talked about it again tonight on on radio. But when you look at these close games, Jack, that victory, whether it's by what the margin of being eight? All right, mm-hmm. it's eight in overtime, or if it's 25, it's not going to look any different on selection Sunday. The only way it was going to yep. look any different is if it had been a loss. But what Kentucky got from an overtime win against a team that probably a lot of people didn't expect to be in that moment to have a chance to win on the road at Kentucky up one with a few seconds to pull, under a minute to play. I'm not saying I want that to be Marshall on Friday night because I don't. No, let's not let's not go through that again. Beat them by 30, please, it. for the love of God. We just we just went through it. But had Kentucky won that game by 20, they wouldn't have learned anything, really. It'd just been the same thing that we've been seeing from this team. And, and going it really through the fire of that stretch. And that's it, it, what is going to be meaningful in March. And
0: it really was just it, it was awesome basketball. I mean, it was a 96-88 finish. We saw St. Joseph's hit the most ridiculous, like, okay, come on, bro. Like, at some point, they got to get cold. There's no way they're going to continue to shoot at this rate. But you saw Kentucky do the exact same on the other end. You saw good basketball, good fundamentally sound basketball, where for 36 minutes, I thought it was unbelievable offense, just, you know, great offense on the other end. They got to, you know, hit some walls or whatever. But we are game five, Sean. Like, this is... Their ability, and what I also appreciated when they did hit a couple of those uh, little cold stretches, they that's when they converted on the stops on the other end. So they had that mental makeup to kind of bounce back and forth. Of okay, we're we're cruising offensively, let's keep riding this hot hand. But when they knew they had to lock in and make a stop because it's not working on the other end, and they're starting to creep back a little bit, or you know, take uh, took an early lead, that's when they started kind of putting together kills. And that's what led to the reversal of lead and led to the ultimate win. I, you you don't get a better resolve victory than this. And it's like, if, a, if Kansas was a moral victory, and I, I hate using that phrase because it's Kentucky basketball, and we don't have moral victories, but it's as close as you can get. What... What, like a, what, what would that, that version of moral victory be for this? Because you did get the victory, so you don't have to say it's a moral victory, but it does feel like the the meaning behind the win was more impactful than the eight-point vic- margin of victory over St. Joseph's. How they did it would, felt much more
1: impactful than the actual result itself. It was another step along the journey is what it was. The, the journey to wherever this team goes and their story. And when it comes down to it, and I think I may have touched on this earlier. If they're in that situation next Tuesday night against a good Miami team at Rupp Arena that has good guards, that they're they're going to shoot it and things, but and they're going to test Kentucky, and that's a top ten team that's going to be in the building because they don't play again. They their last game was Sunday. They don't play again until next Tuesday. They've got some time off here. Going through what they went through, though, and finally winning a game, and it, they've not had many. They've only had two situations where that was what they were in, where they had to close teams out. And it was kind of the similar situation. They had a lead late, give it up, they force OT, and then they, they made the shots down the stretch to win it. Doing that in that moment against that opponent gives me confidence that when they get in that situation against Miami, a better basketball team, Kentucky, will be even better prepared to go to win that game. Had they not won that one last night, I wouldn't have as much confidence in them doing it against a quality opponent, but having done it and building the confidence to know that they can, you're not, I don't think you're going to see any nerves in those situations at some point, but I think I said Reed Shepard was fourth in the country in steals. He's actually third, but here's another statistic that we've not really hit on that has been very important given their lack of front court depth. Kentucky is fourth in college basketball in fouls per game. Twelve point two fouls per game. Foul trouble has not been an issue for this game. What a statement for Trey
0: Mitchell, like, considering he just had a nine foot four hundred and eighty pound monster uh, in the, this most recent matchup, and then you have Hunter Dickinson, who's basically the same damn thing. Like, it's not like he's been going up against six seven wings, like. He's been playing out of position in balling like Trey Mitchell, man. I, that's the one guy that I had, a, I had this conversation for the game with somebody who know who knows Trey. Well, you know, just talking about the fit and you know, how, how, how he's working. And I said, I think Trey's the most uh, uh, impactful player on the team. They were like, well, I don't, you know, I, I think Rob's that player. I think Rob R- Rob has been, and I said, well, I think Rob's the most talented player. I think he's proven to be the, the most talented player. I think the best all-around player has been Reed Shepard thus far. But I think the most impactful player, bar none, has been Trey Mitchell. And I think you could say definitively those three players, given those individual traits, most talented Reed, or most talented Rob, most impactful Trey, best all around read. Uh, read. I think that's pretty fair for the early accolades, which you can kind of make arguments for all of them for all three. But I think, it's, I think it's pretty fair to say those three guys this season is a whole heck of a lot different to start the year if, if they aren't playing the way they are.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. And we know the value of Trey Mitchell. Like we saw it ahead of time, but you're really seeing it now. 148 minutes. Is that what my my tweet said? Two turnovers? Mm -hmm. Like he's playing a ton of minutes. I think he's 50th or 51st in the country in minutes played right now. And when and this team as a whole and and a complete unit is not turning the basketball over, like they they finished with nine again last night. And I think six of those were at the half, right? Didn't didn't three of those happen in the final 25 minutes of play? Like you, so even though it was a pressure packed moment. They're not coughing it up and a couple of those were uncharacteristic of, of, of Reed getting steals and then trying to make a play and turning it over like I'm not worried about Reed Shepard taking care of the basketball that's that's something that is probably the, the least of my worries with anything with this team but you're just seeing like there's just such good basketball happening right now for this team and they're so far along from where a lot of people thought, that they were going to be. They're, they're doing a lot of stuff. They're they're hitting three. So last night, they entered that game averaging 30 and a half three-point attempts per game. They didn't shoot that number last night. I think they shot 25. But they got to their average number of makes, and that ended up being the difference in the game. They got to 12. They were averaging 11 and a half makes per game entering last night. So even though they didn't get the volume and the, and the numbers that they had been attempting getting to that 30, they made it and shot a better percentage, and they needed every single one of them. If Kentucky's not hitting threes and not shooting the basketball the way that they are early in the season, they lose that game by 15 plus last night. The way St. Joe shot the ball, and I'm also willing to bet that 85 to 90 percent of college basketball, maybe even more, loses that basketball game last night. That's the confidence 15 that made threes. I mean, might even might even push it a little bit higher, especially if you take out in a team's tire front court. Like Kentucky had to match it because right now they don't have the presence in the paint. They don't have the guy that's playing above the rim and just dunking everything or, or the big that's cleaning up stuff at the rim or affecting the game. They're having to do. Uh, they're having to win in a way that we've never seen Kentucky basketball win. Three players get 20 points last night. First time that's been done. How crazy is this? First time that's been done at Kentucky since 2009, 2010, when John Wall, Patrick Patterson, and the Marcus Cousins did it against Sam Houston State. To think of all the guys that have come through this program in 14 to 15 years, and that has not happened more than twice, is insane. But it just goes to show you the balance of scoring, the balance of assist, everything coming together, the way this team went, top 15 in the country in fast break points, 20 points per game in transition, shooting the crap out of the ball from three, getting up and down the floor and scoring in transition, one thing that does need to improve, you got to make some free throws. And Trey Mitchell, that is surprising to me that his free throw percentage is what it is. He's missed some free throws. That is the one area of his game that I think he needs to improve on moving forward. He shoots it too well from three, does everything else too well. That number's got to get better. I believe it might be around 61% right now, but I think he's got six misses in there.
0: Yeah. And crucial ones and, and untimely ones. So, yeah, yeah. That, that's got to. Um, and I do, I do miss some too. So, you, like, you got to hit those. Those, those are two in a row. That was that was awful. That, that that's gotta get better. Um, you had your favorite stat, I have mine. Two Kentucky teams have scored at least 81 points in each of their first five games. This one and 92-93. That team winning 30 games, making a final four and averaging 87 and a half points per game. This Sean, this is all of the stuff we've talked about, them taking care of the ball. Scoring well in transition, making shots, uh, you know, all of the incredible offensive analytics. They're passing all those tests with with flying colors. And they're they're averaging 90 points a game. Like, 90 points a game, one of those games being against the number one team in the country, another one of those, St. Joseph's a very solid team that gave you 15 threes. Like, they... Think just think of where we were last year talking about where does the shot creation come from? How are we, you know, the archaic offense, it was the phrase thrown around ad nauseum and think of where we are now, where we're just drooling over this offense right now. And the only time that we ever kind of get pissy about it is when we go grind, you know, stall ball, grind it out at the end of the games, which Cal said both tonight and last night I'm going to continue to grind it out because this team also needs to learn how to win those games, which I agree with. Like you don't want to see it because this is fun and exciting, and you know you want them to score. To, you want them to score 800 points a game. That's great, but they also do need to know how to win in that style because there's go- there are going to be teams that try to bog things down and force them into the half court, and you got to be able to figure out how to win in that way. And that's how they won. They did not win in overtime by playing the run and gun you know uh running a bunch of ridiculous actions and and playing random basketball they won by playing fundamentally sound basketball and, and making crunch crunch time shots like that's that's impactful but that stat man 92 93 everybody talks about that being one of the most fun basketball teams rick pettino you know rick Patino's baby you know winning 30 games final 4 87 and a half points this team's already topping that i mean they got the goods. rebounding has to get better. That will happen once the bigs get back. And um, that, that was talked at Nazim as well. Even tonight, Cal was saying, yeah, looking at the tape, the rebounding, we regressed a little bit. They said that, that both him and Orlando Antigua talked about that they had been better in w- leading up to this uh, the season and rebounding. They're kind of let down, even considering the circumstances them being so thin in the front court. Um, so you, uh, what do you think about that number they want every guard to have five rebounds. They want that to be the number for them. You got to gang rebound. Got to you know that also allows them to get out in transition because you know it, it takes out one let you know one last one less pass. You, they're already out in transition that way. That's part of it. They want to keep that
1: pace high. You have to do it all by committee. Like everything, everything is all hands on deck right now with this basketball team. You you got to defend as a team. You have to rebound as a team. The balance and assist that I've been talking about—that's that's by committee too. I mean, you're you're talking multiple dudes getting assist and 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 the assist number at a high clip, and that goes hand in hand with knocking down shots. If Kentucky's shooting the ball well, they're going to have a high number of assists, especially from three. So I, I do think that that is something that you're you're kind of and here's the here's the part where it helps you. If you get that mindset right now, that you have to go grab three or four rebounds a piece. And I think Antonio Reeves has been doing a much better job you know, grabbing some rebounds and stuff. I know he had a lot there. I think it might have been the game before. But if you're doing it now, when a big does return, you still have that same mindset because you're trained to do it. And that just makes Kentucky a more complete and better rebounding team here when they do have some size on the interior to go along with it. So all these things that you're seeing Kentucky have to pay more attention to the details to win right now is going to make this team even better – and stronger and more prepared when they do get the size back. Kentucky has not used it as a crutch or as an excuse that they don't have a seven-footer right now. They have just lined up and played you and went right at you. They've taken teams' best shots, and they've come they've come away victorious four out of five times. And I know, like some of these games, yeah, the competition's not the best, but they did go wire-to-wire wire with number one Kansas. Kentucky, to me, is the most impressive team in college basketball to date – because of the way that they're winning, the multi, the, the, guy, the the number of guys that are making impacts. People want to talk about freshmen, up and down freshmen. So what? You've got a plethora of guards here that are young, and it's been someone different every single night. The chances of all those guys playing poorly on the same night, unlikely. And somebody asked me yesterday, or actually today, when do you think Kentucky peaks? NCAA tournament. You know why? Because you're never going to see these guards play well on the exact same night because it's going to be up and down of a freshman season. When you get to that tournament, they're all going to be the best version of themselves. And I think that's when it starts to click and they all play well. And when they do, you better hang on for dear life because this team's coming right at you. And that they're going to be hard to handle. Yeah. If you can't if you can't tell, I like my team.
0: I I I love my team and I loved my our, our parlay picks, Sean, the last two games, we've been so close, man. The first one I hit, I, I hit the Kansas one uh, past that one flying colors. You were two rebounds away uh, against for, for Trey Mitchell, which that's going to happen. Like, Unfortunately, the game rebounding and the guards needing five rebounds a game it, it that ended up hurting you with our parlay. But we've been I'm not going to lie. We've been really getting, uh, you know, right there in the mix. I felt really good about Kentucky winning that game against St. St. Joe's. And you know, pulling away late. I, I had the 14 and a half, but they, they weren't able to convert, obviously, still got it to eight there at the very end. But uh, we're having a lot of fun with 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 FanDuel, the NBA in college basketball seasons are back join FanDuel America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any five-dollar winning money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. Been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use. There are a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, which we have hit uh, very, very extensively, overs, uh, over unders, uh, and more. Uh, we're having a blast with it. That we went three and two, I believe, on on this past week, and the, the one, one of the misses was 14 and a half for Kentucky, which. I still felt very good about that one, and I'm going to continue to feel good betting on Kentucky, especially the high, the the overs and unders. Uh, you know, they've been absolutely crushing those overs. We got to just kind of make that a staple until they prove us wrong. To just kind of keep keep nailing that because the pace and, and tempo and and scoring output that they're getting, Sean. I mean, you you just you just can't beat it.
1: No, you can't. And if you play all those as singles last night, you would have come out you know ahead. We we had three win. We had two losers, and then even the Champions Classic, we had four picks win and, and one off. But last night, I think uh, I had Moorhead State plus four and a half, and they ended up winning by 13. And then Dalton Connect got over his scoring total and then in the first half, and then thankfully because he missed the entire majority of the second half with cramps. So uh, the one that missed for me last night, which one, which one missed for me? I'm trying to think of what all I played out there last night, or what I put out. Oh, the over right. in Purdue and Gonzaga.
0: That one, and, that and th- one. That's,
1: those are the tough lines early in the season because I mean, obviously, you know, Purdue is, and Ken Palm is is Ken Palm right now. I'm not putting a ton of stock in it. I want to see a, a, a few more weeks of basketball, but Purdue and Purdue and Tennessee right now in a game. I don't know what that score currently is, but that's two of the, the better defensive teams in Ken Palm early in the season. And Connor Riggs, right? Can, can we get some Reed and Rob props on on FanDuel? That's
0: been the one thing I've been missing. i would love to be able to to. Bet on my guys and trust in them, but I also trust in Rob. I trust in Reed. I want to be able to do that. So if you're listening, to Fanduel, let's make that happen. Let's let, let's make sure we get Reed and Rob lines in there. But we're having a blast with it. We appreciate that partnership. So visit Fanduel.com/pilgrim. That is Fanduel.com/pilgrim. Fanduel official partner of the NFL 21 and over and present in Kentucky. First online, real money wager. Only $5 pregame money line wager required. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets, which which expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. While we're at it, Sean, Source State Podcast is also brought to you by Andy Ludeke and MyPerfectFranchise.net. Andy is a franchise consultant as well as franchise owner and helps people find franchises that fit their skill sets, financial requirements, time to commit, and more. His services are 100% free and he is here to help. If you have any questions about business ownership, you can learn more and contact Andy anytime at www.myperfectfranchise.net. And Sean, while we're at it, this is a team that you want to go see in person. There's no reason for you to not see them in person. And, and I think for the first time, their ability, you know, the Rupp Arena fan base's ability to take that game over and really make it to the level that you expect, made me think of one and only thing, game time. There's no reason why your butts should not be in these seats helping Kentucky cross the finish line, helping them in overtime. You shouldn't have to worry when you're buying tickets. Now isn't the time for guesswork with killer last-minute deals, all-in prices, views from your seat, and the best price guarantee. Game time does all the hard work for you. Game time has deals on tickets right up to the start of the event. And even an hour after it starts, it's the place to find last minute seats, find exclusive flash deals, and sponsor deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and more with zone deals. You pick the section, and Game time picks the seats for an average of 18% savings. And the Game Time guarantee means that you will always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less game time, will credit you 110% of the difference. Sean, I am seeing with my own two eyes that they're open seats, which means you guys are not taking advantage of game time the way you need to. Those upper end zone seats, they're available and we need that extra pop against Marshall on Friday. I know everybody's going to be full from their Turkey on Thanksgiving. I know it's going to be a little bit sluggish on Friday. Wake up, get, you know, get, get that morning black Friday, energy rush and just take that on into Friday night using game time where you can uh, have a great time and, and, and will Kentucky to victory and, and across the finish line against Marshall.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Rep arena was great down the stretch last night. It would be even better if, if those seats were full and, and I'm, I'm looking forward to that first big time game in rep arena here a week from now with Miami, which you can also, find tickets for on the game time app as well. So uh, be sure to use game time and, and get in there and, and have the same view that the Jack and I have of these cats. If, you, if you've not made it out to watch them, get out and watch them.
0: I, I mean, the, the seats right now are, are, are ridiculous. I'm doing a, a flash deal right now. I, I mean, you can get a, as close as imaginable for 200 bucks, uh, $48, 48 $9, $49, 53 all in after fees, all that good stuff. I mean, it, 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 you, you can't beat that deal. Go there, be there, a part of the experience, and, and uh, see the cats score 90 points a game and hit 12 threes and, and have a good time. Take the guesswork out of buying tickets with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code KSR for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply again, create an account, redeem code KSR for $20 off, download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price. Guaranteed. All right. I know everybody, everybody wants to know about uh, Aaron Bradshaw. Everybody wants to know uh, about what the deal is there. I know there's some talk um, about him potentially returning soon. This, this Sean was the timeline where like the public talk of, you know, I'm hearing the Marshall date. Like that was the where it started with a B on of. Where we could officially start talking about a, a about his return to the season, I'll let you know that I have heard to not expect him for Marshall. I think that's fool's gold. I I would not get myself excited for that. I would even be very cautious about Miami. I know it'd be a great you know great matchup for him to kind of get you know throw him right there in the fire. See see how he works out. Um, but I would caution patience with him. Here's the good news. He's coming back soon. Like I know there's was a report from David Sisk tonight. Great. I mean, one of my very good buddies, trust him with everything. He's awesome. He he talks to the right people and and uh, I, I know his stuff is good. Um, he said that he's returning. The expect expectation is that he returns to practice tomorrow. I have heard that he has already been in practice doing ramp up things. He has not participated in full five on five yet. And I don't know if that's even going to be the case tomorrow yet. But He has already been an active part of practice, Sean, which is a great thing. Like, he is there. Like, we can officially start talking about Aaron Bradshaw as a part of this roster and kind of tinkering with what that looks like. Now, this isn't Toronto where it's like, you know, out of sight, out of mind. We don't, don't even have to factor him in. You can officially start piecing together what... Aaron Bradshaw on this team looks like, which is awesome. He's a great player, great kid who has been itching to get back on the floor. I've heard nothing but unbelievable things. The one thing that I have heard is it is going to take time for him to see, for us to see the best version of Aaron Bradshaw. So please do not expect if he comes, comes in for that December 2nd game, if he comes in and makes his appearance for the first time in that Penn game, that homecoming game, um, in the Northeast where he has friends and family in town, do not expect him to play 35 minutes and score a bunch of points, grab a bunch of rebounds and be this total game changer from day one. He has missed a lot of time on the floor, Sean. He has not played a competitive game since the spring. It's going to take, I mean, you and I both know how long that takes just to be in game shape, to be there. He's there. I mean, he's, he's getting close. He feels good. But just understand it will be a process no matter when he makes his first official check-in. It's going to be a minute. Be patient. But we can officially start talking about Aaron Bradshaw as a realistic part
1: of this rotation. We can. And, and here's my take on it. And probably some people won't agree with me with this. But if he's not, if he wasn't able to get on the floor by Marshall or maybe even like a game last night. I just don't think it's the best moment to bring him back against Miami in a game where I think Kentucky needs to be locked in, dialed in. They're comfortable playing the way that they are right now. So get through that date. And then you get him back for some of these other games where I think that you can, you can give a little bit more run, right. And you can be a little bit more, not, not necessarily relaxed because you can't relax in college basketball. We saw that last night. We saw that across the country. But the first big game in my mind for Aaron Bradshaw is North Carolina in Atlanta. That is where I'm kind of zoning in and looking. Not as much Miami. To me, it would have been Miami if you could have got him back by Stonehill. But there needs to be a transition here to where you don't want to run the – I mean, and I don't think Cal's going to do this, especially right off the bat. But I'm not concerned about chemistry issues. But with what Kentucky's doing right now, I think Kentucky is good enough as is in the moment to go beat Miami at Rupp Arena a week from now. And then you go in after that and start getting it to be your best version with him back.
0: And that's Kentucky's take. That is the mindset that this program has right now. Had the wheels fallen off very early and they get curb stomped against Kansas and – You're starting to look at, oh, good Lord, things are really ugly with this team. We got to figure things out, you know, right now before the wheels really fall off. Then you could start talking about, all right, AB, let's, you know, let's figure this out. We got to get you on the floor. But if it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's the mindset that they have right now. And understand, I need fans to understand that this is a seven foot two versatile shot making face up athletic big man with a broken foot. This is not a kid dealing with a tight hamstring. This is not a kid with an ankle sprain trying to just walk it off. Like this is a kid with a broken foot, bigs with broken feet. It's like the ultimate polarizing injury situation in the NBA. Like there are some teams that look at that injury and say, no, no go. I'm not touching a seven footer with, with foot injuries ever. I'm, I'm, I'm not messing with it. So understand that there's a lot of trust with this on Kentucky side. And that's something that I think fans are missing when they're quick to judge Aaron Bradshaw and his family and saying, you know, he, he's being selfish. He's just holding out for the sake of holding out. Understand that there's a lot at stake with Aaron Bradshaw and his future as a basketball player, not just for Marshall on Friday night. Like this is a long, long, long term play that is very calculated. Like, They're not just blindly making decisions with Aaron Bradshaw right now, Sean. They know what they're doing. This has been a very calculated timeline for return just because not everything has been made public doesn't mean that they're not working and making progress on it. There is a very high level of mutual respect right now between Aaron Bradshaw and the Kentucky coaching staff about how they've handled this very delicate situation. And there will be a reward. The payoff is going to be that Aaron Bradshaw is going to be playing sooner, very, very soon. I am not willing to say that he's going to play in November. I'm not willing to say that yet. I feel comfortable in saying early December. I, I do. But understand that if you don't need him right this very minute because of the way Trey Mitchell's playing, because of the way everything else is working around him, be patient with it. Let, let him come back on his own pace. And when he comes back, play him 10 minutes, play him 12 minutes. You do not need him to be a high-minute, you know, high-volume type of guy yet. Let, let him ease into this because there are still potentially 35 games left in, in, in the season. You need him for game
1: 40, not six. So here would be my thing too. Yes, I know Kentucky has rebounding concerns right now. John Calipari knows it too. Everybody that's watching this team knows that they, they need size. Do we realistically think that he could walk in here in a week and grab a high number of rebounds in a game against Miami and play a ton of minutes. It's just its not possible. Like The, the way that this is, is going, there, there's a transition, there's a time, there, there's, there's a period here that this is going to be steps. The same way we're talking about steps to how this team is, is taking steps to be what it's going to be, this is included in those steps. And this is something that you don't want to run the risk of, of, of aggravating something or, or having a setback. You want to ease him into this because the way that we're seeing, so these guys that we're watching on the floor right now have been playing and on the court and active and beating and banging against one another since June. He hasn't. When he gets back out there, there's going to be a a lot of excitement in his game that he's going to have to channel and he's going to have, I think, getting his way in there, Jack, he's going to have some moments where he's going to provide a really good spark for a couple of minutes. And then probably comes out, and then he gets another spark. And then at some point, the minutes climb. And then Kentucky starts to figure out how it wants to play. But for anyone that even if he was able to play a week from now, that expects something crazy and like a huge, huge impact from him, you're just asking too much. You need there's there's got to be time here. And I still think Kentucky's good enough to go win that game with its current roster right now. I do. Yeah. So I,
0: I appreciate the excitement for Bradshaw. And, you know, I, I know he's already been active in practice and, you know, I, I hope Sisk is right. You know, I, I hope that tomorrow is the day that he starts five and five. I have not personally heard that, but he's already been doing enough elsewhere that it's like, whether it's tomorrow or Thursday or Friday or Monday, like he's been already, doing stuff and getting himself ready. I mean, he's, that, that hasn't been in question. My, my only concern is when are they going to be willing to take the plunge, take the, all right, now it's time. Let's let, let's go. I, I would feel comfortable and and you know, if, if it's earlier than that, then I'm happy to be wrong because it means that we get to see this awesome player sooner or rather, you know, before expectations. I've just heard, December, you know, early December is the, as a loose timeline. And I'm going to kind of stick with that, Um, you know, hope that we see him earlier and hoping that the ramp up is better, but the fact that we don't need him right now um, in knowing the extent of the injury and the severity of it, I I think that matters infinitely more than the value that he'd bring to the table against Marshall or even Miami for that matter. Uh, Let's just be patient with him. He'll, he'll be back on the floor. I think all that really matters out of all this is you can, uh, I think officially put the, spring and early summer speculation to bed that Bradshaw won. Like there was that internal battle that we talked about where, you know, there was a, not a lot of, you know, I talked about this on, on KS board earlier, earlier today that, yeah, those, those concerns were valid. Like the, the talk of Clutch not wanting him to come in and play at, at Kentucky. I I think it was very, very real. I know it was very real. I was having the direct conversations with people involved, like, I know for a fact that there was some hesitancy on his side trusting Cal to put him in position to be a, you know, top five, top, top 10 pick. Because there has not been there had not been a sample size of Cal letting a big play like that really ever. But look at what this team's doing right now, the pace they're playing with, averaging 90 points a game, making 12 threes a game, shooting 40% from three. A true five-out system where Sean, your most valuable player is Trey Mitchell right now. You can have a B step right into that role and be a seven-foot-two version of that, making shots, making the right reads, being a lob threat, and all that. That's the exciting part. That you know, I think that the buy-in is now there, even on on their side. I've been told there's a great, you know, very strong, positive working relationship with Clutch, and there's no, you know, n- not going to be any lingering issues with that. This is, you know, it, we're all in. Like this is chip, chips in with. Aaron Bradshaw playing for Kentucky, and we're going to see the rewards of that very, very soon.
1: Yep. What do you think about going rapid fire here for about five minutes with some fan questions in the chat as we close?
0: If since, we, we were, yeah. since we were since yeah. we
1: late tonight, if uh, let's, let's give back here. Let's, <laughs> let's do it. Let's do it. Let's so let's get some questions rolling in here. And you know, Daniel, you can throw some up on the screen as you see some good ones popping up, but. No, like, for, for where this team is right now, and, hey, Feast Week is off to a great start. I mean, you've got some great college basketball matchups going around and uh, definitely excited about this college basketball season and where things are going. And I, I think the overall excitement right now, Jack, about this team is just – I mean, it's it's off the charts right now, like the positivity and stuff. And, yeah, they don't have bigs, and people are concerned and wondering if Z is going to be eligible and if Bradshaw is going to be back and when Zugo is going to return, it's Tower Uless or John Shire. I'll tell you this, Tyler Ulis is very, very important. And just go watch the final – everybody that's in this chat right now or everybody that's going to watch this, this episode, do yourself a favor and go watch the final four minutes of regulation, but even the final five the, the final five in overtime. And pay attention to Tyler Ulis on the bench. He's not just sitting there, Jack. He's coaching. And I'm seeing a guy that's confident this time around at Kentucky – that is more active within his role that is, that is being a voice on the sideline. And like I said, DJ Wagner made a Tyler U.S. play. Just go make a play.
0: That's a blast. All right, let's roll through some of these. Um, what do you think about the chance UK gets AJ Debanza in 25? Good. I think Kentucky's in a very good spot with him. I think that Kentucky understands the generational talent that he is. Uh, I think it's a great idea to offer Tyron Stokes at the same time, who is also considering a reclass. We've talked in the past that uh, we'll see, you know, physically he's going to be there. He just got some academic work to take care of their friends. They are teammates at prolific prep. They would like to play together. Uh, I would keep an eye on that And Kentucky loves Tyron Stokes to death. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. Um, building as cal said 24 is really in a good spot but they're building something even better and more special in 25. so uh i, I think aj davasa is a very significant part of that um uh, elevate podcast big zine updates and Jj and papa um 2020 uganda news uh, heard Uganda is still trend, you know progressing the right way um i know that he's kind of been the odd man out and i still have my you know some of my fit concerns about Ugo, but I did hear some, you know, solid things about him today, even just that, you know, he's he's progressing in the right way and they're still expecting him to play at some point. I just don't know what that looks like. I, I think that's going to be the bigger question. But, um, you know, we'll we'll, we'll see on, on Ugo. I, I just, you know, he's one of those guys that I just kind of have to see, see to believe just how, how that fit will be. Uh, but there's still confidence around the program that he can, you know, live up to his recruiting ranking and be the – you know, dynamic shot blocking threat that that they kind of brought him in to be an, a truly elite rim running guy. So I'm rooting for him. And He's a great kid and great. You know, I I really think he can be successful. I just the fit is one of my concerns. We'll see what happens there. Uh Big Z didn't hear any major updates uh, on him. Still very you know he has not been cleared today, which was kind of, you know what I asked and when I kind of tried to dig a little bit, it kind of became a. Above above my pay grade, I don't know. We'll you know we when that comes across our table, that's when we're going to address it. By then, you know we've been going back and forth with the NCAA from the beginning with it. They have thought from the beginning that the pitch and argument has been out- outstanding, and they gave enough to have him be declared eligible. And I think that's where the confidence comes from. Is like. Bro, we're seeing across the NCAA, there are so many other pieces that are being de- declared eligible where they had more question marks than Z did. Ademara at UCLA, UK turned down that opportunity to go after him because they were concerned he was going to get de- de- denied eligibility by the NCAA and then ter- pivoted to Big Z. So, like, the, the the that's why they went with him because they felt really good about his eligibility and felt like the – the guesswork had been taking out of that to take a page out of our friend, the game times book. So I feel good about it. It just sucks that we have not heard any substantial updates beyond. I don't know. We'll see. It depends on when uh, it comes across our door. So I wish I had something better, but I I really don't. I'm going to continue to say that I feel good because they have felt good from the beginning. And that's, that's unfortunately all I got, Sean.
1: Yeah. And we had a question there a moment ago about the sec, ACC challenge and that is coming up. That's the, that's the Kentucky Miami game. And, you know Duke heads to Bud Walton arena to players to play Arkansas and I mean you got great games all around the SEC and ACC. To be the first year of that event, I think it's pretty big for the SEC to make a statement and and those events like that Jack are, are where you know selection Sunday when it comes down to how the league is evaluating stuff and how it performs. A lot of it is viewed in how they perform in non-conference and I think that that's a that's an opportunity for some of these teams to get some wins, North Carolina and Tennessee, like the, the top half of the, of the league's got some big time matchups and a, a chance to make a statement in those games. Uh, I mean, Arkansas did lose at Bud Walton and Missouri has had some losses and there are some other losses around the league right now that that don't look good. Uh, you got a South Carolina team that, that that's won some games early in the season. Mississippi state broke into the top 25 this week of the AP poll. Like it's a deep league, but they need some wins. I know Texas A&M won on the road at Ohio State earlier this year. Like that's a good win for the league. So get some good wins and, and stockpile them, and, and just continue to build your resume and reputation. And I think that's an event that you can do it in.
0: Matt G is Pilgrim Junior hearing from UK yet? Yeah, I will say I was actually very appreciative of uh, of the amount of people that you know that I've kind of leaned on a little bit for information in the past and you know, building relationships with that reached out to me after. Baby Billy was born and said, you know, congratulated me for him, you know, and we talked about, you know, I joke with a couple of them, you know, he's going to be the easiest recruit you'll ever sign, you know, So little things like that just, you know, be, being stupid. But I have appreciated that. Yeah. That, so, yes, technically he he has heard from Kentucky, which is kind of cool to say as a dad, which is stupid because, you know, the odds of him ever playing at Kentucky are slim to none. But, hey, I'm, I'm going to dream big and reach for the stars as well. He's
1: going um, to play for me wherever I'm at, though.
0: There we go. Uh, well, I'll I'll take that as long as you can offer him a full ride scholarship and I do not have to pay for his tuition. I'm, I'm all the way for it. Uh, Connor Rigg would Darren Peterson, Jaden Quaintance, AJ Debanza, Tyron Stokes, and Jasper Johnson be the best starting five in the Cal era. It sure as heck be up there, man. Because you have two. As Cal talked about Jaden Quaintance being an, uh, a prodigy, you have AJ Debanza, who for my money is the best generational talent in high school basketball right now. Tyron Stokes, who is a physical. Freak of nature, bowling ball athlete who can pass, dribble, and shoot like he's a basketball player at at its core. Jasper Johnson's awesome. He does a lot of really interesting, fun, you know, you know, poised, patient things as a basketball player. I love him to death. And Darren Peterson uh, is—he'd be Cal's best pure scoring guard since Malik Monk. Like that—that's a freaking squad right there. So I am uh, rooting for that to unfold uh, more more than just about. Just about everything. Uh, Zach Bingman, would you prefer to take one year of no drama with Peterson in 25 or two years of drama if Peterson reclassified, not knowing if he returns, uh, hurting you with other recruits because they think he comes back? It's a great point. Um, heard today actually two completely different things about Darren Peterson. Somebody told me that I absolutely trust that they that Kentucky is wasting its time going after B.J. Edgecombe, and they should go – uh, all in on Darren Peterson reclassing for twenty four and that they think it's feasible and that he wants to be at Kentucky. Another person who's actually closer to the program told me that Darren is leaning towards staying in twenty five. Uh, and they do feel better about VJ Edgecombe, and they're they're gonna pursue that and see where where things go there. As you see, Cal was there visiting him today. So um, cal, Cal and this staff are have been very calculated with where where they've been recruiting and not really listening to the narratives. Look at the Boozer twins, for example. I mean, that's that's one that everybody told them that you're stupid for going after. And they said, you know what? We're going to give it our shot. And they're right there in the thick of things. I think Miami leads for them, but I would put Kentucky ahead of, uh, of Duke in that one. Like, I think they're right there uh, for kids that everybody kind of scoffed at for them even trying. So they're kind of going against the grain with a lot of these guys. And I think it's going to pay off. We'll see what happens with the VJH column. But I do think that, Differing opinions on Darren Peterson about the win. I think everybody knows Kentucky's in a good spot with them, but it's just the win is is more of the more of the question. This one's for you. Uh, we'll get we'll get out of here. Uh, we'll do two more minutes of it. Uh, where does Thero fit when the Bigs get back? Is he still the starting four? shot?
1: That, that's that's the tricky thing right now. Is that that's the spot that I'm actually looking at? Just because the way Kentucky plays offensively. And the spacing that it's playing with, and the three point shooting. There's a couple of times the ball's being swung to him, and he's wide open and then just tries to drive it because, like, obviously, it's not his game to shoot the three. So, but no, he, he plays the game so hard. He's rebounding his tail off, he's impacting the game and trying to do whatever it takes for this team and, and, and helping, especially with a team that's undersized right now. I just wonder. With the way they're playing offensively, if Bradshaw is definitely going to get minutes, Trey Mitchell is still going to be one of the most played guys on this team, and his minutes and stuff. It's just going to be some of the four and some of the five. So I think that a role could. I don't. I don't think his role is going to change, but maybe the minutes distribution does. But I think he's still going to be a part of that rotation and play because of his physicality and. I want to see – there's going to have to be guys emerge that become really good defenders. And I think that he could be a guy that can beat and bang with with some of these these forwards in the league and kind of create some problems and and things. And we saw what he did against Kansas. Like, in the biggest moment, he was there. Against Miami, does he have another moment like that here in a week and and big moments? Is that what he's known for? But he's another guy that has a willingness to do whatever it takes. So we also had a question from Brett about – is there any concerns about the three-point defense? Right now, I'm not too concerned about it. I want to see, like, that's the thing with with the Ken Palm numbers and and defensive stuff. Like, I want to evaluate Kentucky when it has a seven-footer overall defensively. That's what I want to evaluate. I've seen enough offensively to know that that I like what they're going to do. Defensively, I want to give them kind of the benefit of the doubt until they're at full strength with seven-footer. And then the way they shoot the ball from three in practice – you got to be able to close out on your own, dudes. So, at some point, I think that that this team will settle in there. Uh, But, to me, the way they shoot the ball this year, it kind of cancels out some of the concerns a little bit more from from three-point defense. But I, I think they will be okay as the season goes along. So, yes, Brett, I do answer your questions. I like how somebody else. Uh,
0: I think it was Matt G said. Uh, I like how Jack just completely skips the questions that are on the board right now. He's just going down the list. I didn't even notice that that Daniel was putting them on the screen. I was just going through, reading them one by one. Apparently, just been missing the questions at all. I'm, bro. I'm telling you, I am uh, on just drowning with this baby with. Just the sleep schedule. I literally got home from Rupp Arena last night at two thirty in the morning. Didn't get to fall asleep till three o'clock in the morning. Woke back up, had baby appointment today. Was dealing with all this news and re- recruiting stuff coming out. AJ to getting an offer. I mean, I've been working the phones all day. I am like dead. I am just dead, all around dead. So just bear with me, man. I'm 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 trying my trying my hardest, but God, man, this is. Oh, this is a lot. Um, couple. Uh, I, I know I said I was gonna be done. I'll make I'll do like two more. Um, I'll answer some quick ones. BBN, MJ, my guy Billy Richmond and Carter Knox update. A couple of guys asked, asked about both of those. Randy Childers, Carter Knox news. Uh, I was told today that Kentucky's still very, very much going for uh, Carter Knox. They just kind of understand that he's playing this one patient and wanting to wait till the spring. They know how. Dad operates. They literally signed his son and won that recruiting battle the first time around. So they know how that one works. Um, they just know that we can't go all in on him and then miss on him. So let's go on and go for Billy Richmond. Let's go on and go for VJ Edgecomb. Let's continue to monitor a reclass from Darren Peterson. Let's just continue to weigh all of our options as he's taking visits and, go and exploring his other. Uh, options let's do the same and you know if we meet up in the spring that that's a great fit and they like how he's playing and the overtime elite that's a pipeline that kentucky's really trying to maximize so it, that's a fit it's just about the timing more than anything if they sign somebody before then uh about billy richmond Kentucky, nothing has changed kentucky's right there um i i think we should hear on that sooner rather than later i would be shocked if we get out of the winter with without news on billy richmond and I think Kentucky's in a really good spot. I certainly heck would not trade Kentucky spot with anybody else. So keep a close eye on that one. Uh, I'm still feeling very, very good about that one. But I think it's going to be Billy and one of the other three guys. We'll see what happens there. Um, any other last last second ones you want to get to, Sean, real quick?
1: Uh, I was looking to see. Because I think they've kind of slowed down in the last few minutes. Yeah, I think I think we hit hey, good.
0: Uh, this one, uh, I'll do this one for you. FT UT or Purdue for the second half. What's your call? What is it right now? I'm not even. I don't know. I, I, it's I, gonna I, be so dated. Like the people that listen to this tomorrow, the game's gonna be already <laughs> over, so the second <laughs> half really doesn't matter. But you know, I'm
1: that, trying to see. Lying. I'm trying to. I like Tennessee going into the game. Let's see here. While you do that, Titanium
0: Titans has anything to watch for versus Marshall, uh, Orlando Antigua tonight on Cal's radio show went in depth about Marshall and, um, what to expect from them basically said that they do a lot of the same stuff. St. Joseph's does that. They're a, a, a high octane, high volume, three point shooting team that has size that's going to make li- life difficult for Trey Mitchell while also knocking down three. So basically the same scouting report that we saw uh, for Kentucky against St. Joseph's, I think we're going to see very similar situation there uh, on Friday night. So still very early, um, before you know, really digging into the nuts and bolts of, of Marshall, but uh, be
1: prepared for another uh, three point barrage, Sean. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, uh, teams coming into Rupp Arena getting even hotter than what that what they are before they get there. That seems to be a, a trend this year, and and we know Kentucky will be be challenged in different ways. They they were in a tight game today, and I didn't see the outcome of theirs, but I know early in the second half they were in a close one. Uh, for the question about Tennessee, though, I, I and. We'll see here in about 45 minutes, but I think Tennessee wins wins one against Purdue tonight. I think that they make the plays down the stretch and, and win that game. I've obviously not been following the flow of that game, but with with Tennessee, I, I picked them going into the game to, to win that one outright. So I'll, I'll stick with it. It's a close one. And you got another one coming up tonight, Kansas and Marquette. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got two top ten games going on in Maui right now. And uh, I watched UCLA play last night as well. And, and put up a fight against Marquette, and then Marquette just made game-winning plays down the stretch. So Marquette's a good basketball team. It, it wouldn't shock me at all if uh, if Kansas suffered, if number one goes down for the first time tonight.
0: Oh, goodness gracious. It was a long one. We apologize for being late, but, you know, when your power goes out and you have to reconvene at KS Bar. And, uh, I think I f- shut f- this place down, by the way. I yeah,
1: I don't know what's going on in here.
0: You know, it is what it is. We uh, responded by going 20 minutes over, so I hope fans can at least appreciate that. We appreciate everybody that stuck around from start to finish. It was a fun show, uh, plenty uh, of good good stuff that we got to, and um, uh, appreciate all of our sponsors, as always. They uh, are, are the absolute best. So, Sean, let's go ahead and get out of here before our own feast week. It's going to be Thanksgiving Thursday, then Marshall on Friday. Where can fans find your work? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at GBB Country. Find me on Twitter as well at Jack Pilgrim KSR. Uh, Go subscribe to uh, on on KSR Plus. We're doing a lot of fun stuff over there. The message board was popping today, uh, talking about all sorts of old rumors and speculation and you know gossip. It was a lot of fun uh, over there on the message board today. So make sure you go subscribe over there. The deals are just out of this world. You do not want to miss that. Last question, Magi. Well, who's the leading scorer versus Marshall Sean? That's the last thing I ask of
1: you. Ooh. Man, I'm trying to think here. So they've had DJ's let them, Antonio's let them, Reed's let them. I'm going to say Justin Edwards breaks through and has a night. Ooh, I I'm like it. Say, I, showing that balance. I will go
0: with... Hmm. I'm going Trey Mitchell. Uh, he's emerging as the MVP for this team. I think that's going to continue with a Trey Mitchell Black Friday uh, breakthrough performance. Well, he can he's already broken through, so continuing to break through for Trey Mitchell. Let's go ahead. Get out of here. Appreciate each and every one of you. We will see you next time.